Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, my name's Simon Kane, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 34. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, PR. Amy Smith is the Associate Director and a PR Specialist at Prospero Arts. We had her on a few weeks ago in Edinburgh when we were doing a live panel for touring, a when we were having a live panel for touring a show, and I've got her back on to talk in more detail about how to promote a show, uh, both in and outside of Edinburgh, how to tour a show and get regional support from different local newspapers, and how to get free publicity for your show, again, at Edinburgh and beyond. It's a really interesting podcast, and I think you're going to get loads out of it, if you, even if you don't have a show. It's just something really fascinating to hear, so that you know how much work goes into PR, publicity, promotion, and publications to try and get your show the most effective advertising it possibly can. If you're enjoying the show, please do remember to subscribe, and if you have a minute, it would be really great if you could leave a review on iTunes. Just honestly say what you think of it, what you think it's worth star rating-wise, and uh, just maybe leave who you would like as a future guest in the comment of your review. Also, by subscribing, you can much more easily find the live podcast, which I think was episode 32. I'm going to be doing a lot more live ones coming up, so uh, do watch out for those. And if you join the Facebook group, you can get the most up-to-date information about where those are going to be. At the moment, the next one's in Leicester in February. I won't say much more because we're sorting out the panel at the moment, but it's going to be with a bunch of people who founded Fringe Festivals for you to talk to them and ask whatever you need to ask to get your head around the application process and why different festivals are useful for different things depending on what you want from the show that you are trying to put on. So that's going to be amazing. Please do uh, join the Facebook group. It's called RC Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook, obviously, uh, for more information about that. I won't say much more. I'm just going to let the podcast play. But please do remember, subs- please do remember to subscribe. Please do remember to subscribe and review. Without any more delays, this is Amy Smith. Uh, that is that is what we do. It's like we're the the person who who's got all those press contacts, who knows the journalists. That's what we spend our time doing, getting to know them all very well, um, making those contacts on behalf of our clients, so that when a client comes to us and wants to reach out to all of those people, um, we've 
got all their contact details we already have that relationship so you're not having to start from scratch introducing yourself we're just introducing um like launching a new product from an already known company they know who we are and we just introduce our new client to them um so very much the the link between uh, journalists and the press and the client, whoever they are. Right. So you're you're the middle woman between. Yeah, yeah, uh, like yeah, like being the middle man or woman between those two, so that you're you're not having to start from scratch all over again, introducing yourself. I think as a performer, I the thing I find hardest to do is make that connection with a journalist, unless I've been introduced to them somehow. Because yeah. if if I just email them, they probably get a hundred emails a day from whoever just going oh I'm a performer come see my show which can drive them mad I can imagine yeah <laughs> and it's probably quite a nice filtration system to have someone like you go you know I know you like this kind of comedy yeah absolutely yeah. and we can make sure that um, we tailor those lists so that if you're a specific type of comedy or a specific type of theatre um, that we can make sure things go out to the journalists who we know are going to respond well to that and uh, not send it to people who aren't going to either they're very specialised in the type of um, entertainment that they work with and if it's not the right fit for them if you're sending it out to them and trying to make that conversation it might not be until a little bit further down the line that you've been chatting that you work out that that's not going to work for you guys so that's time that you could have been putting into a different conversation and building a different relationship whereas that's what we've spent all of our time doing so that we can we can jump in at that point already and how how do you do that like do you just email them and say want to go for a cup of coffee or like how how are you creating connections with these journalists Um, yeah we're meeting people all the time whether that's um, email introductions or phone Um, we spend a lot of time um, talking to those journalists Um, even when that's with the the people we're already working with that's still a conversation that we can remind them we've had the next time we have a conversation so they'll remember us from the other projects that they've worked with and liked which again makes it easier for us to introduce something new to them um yeah we spend a lot of time talking having those conversations that that uh, it's hard to find the time to if you're trying to just focus on your own product especially when it is your own show um it can be hard to to see other angles around things that we can mm. Yeah, totally. As, as a performer, whenever I try and talk to a journalist to try and get them to come down and review, or even a reviewer, you know what I mean, just to get them to come see whatever, yeah. often they're just uh, busy or they've, or they've got like someone who's just, you know, uh, sorted out their schedule for them. Maybe the papers sort of told them what to go and see or whatever. Yeah. Or, or they just start to feel like, like an illusionary byline, like as if like it's sort of a, a, a what do we call it, like a fake name they're using and you're just trying <laughs> to, con- you know what I mean? And, and so it's interesting that like you guys, so, so, so yeah, so it's, uh, for me it's always interesting how PRs sort of, harness those relationships and, and keep them going because I mean obviously you're you're going to want as diverse a client list as possible mm. but it means that you're not going to have that much to send to each individual person and, and you might not even have so there might be one theatre critic for example that you might have nothing to send to for a year because you're focusing on comedy or because you're focusing on you know just another thing so is it a case of you you like like sort of a facebook friend you kind of come back to them every so often or how, how are you um, keeping those going there well with the with prospero the amount of um, people that we work with um are spread out across lots of different arts so it, it doesn't go that long that there are particular um journalists or particular subject areas that we're not having those conversations with um so i guess it kind of becomes like speaking to um steve in accounts who you know very well within a different company that you would speak to every couple 
couple of days. They're people that we have regular contact with all the time, whether that's about a particular client, two or three different clients. Um, picking up the phone to them isn't unusual. It's not going to be some. We're not going to be someone that they go, oh, we haven't heard from you for a couple of years. What are you still doing? It will have been much more recently that we'll have either sent them a press release, we'll have had a conversation. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're people that we speak to regularly. So as part of our general working day, having those conversations is, is something that's going to happen. Mm. And, and in terms of finding stuff to send to them, essentially, so new talent, how often do you, do you go out to like new shows or, 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 or like gigs and things, or do you get like sent stuff by comedians saying or agents saying, come and see this talent, we want to work with you on that? Or? Uh, yeah, both. Okay. Um, yeah, we're often invited to things, um, to, to head out and either go and see shows, meet clients. Um, we have lots of people who come back to us, so they've worked with us before, whether that was on um, their own shows that they'll come back because they've got their new show that they want to take somewhere else or they worked with us um, as part of a different company and then they're, they're working with someone else so they bring us on board for that as well um, yeah I think the same as in uh, when comedians pick up gigs people see you they invite you to other things we're the same but almost in reverse they'll have worked with us so they invite us to work on something else um, moving around so, so how often do you actually get to go out and like watch comedy or well comedy specifically for fun um oddly fairly often okay it tends to be something that i can combine with work at the same time that if there's one person on the bill that i'm going to see if it's in a composite show i'll stay and i'll watch the rest of the show as well i'm Mm. not just going to watch the one person that i've gone to see and then ignore everyone else unless it's in a night where i need to disappear straight away to go to another show Mm. um but no comedy is is something that i still do enjoy for fun as well (laughs) sort of have to be really uh yes if i ever got completely bored of comedy it would make my job very hard so it's good that i still like it same yeah (laughs) (laughs) um you so you do a lot of stuff for edinburgh uh runs as it were like for pr and stuff and uh i mean so when you're scouting for those acts to represent is is it the same process because obviously that's a show rather than a composite bill kind of thing and and you're trying to find a specific thing that stands out because edinburgh obviously is a very competitive place to work yeah so i imagine finding stuff for that is a different process or is it around the same um it's it's very much the same we tend to have people approach us and i guess we think ourselves quite lucky that we have to turn down more than we take on because people the the demand for for time in edinburgh is more than we've got the capacity to give um but in some ways that means we're unlucky at the same time that if we hit capacity and we really can't fit any more acts into our roster there are things that we have to turn down that we think if they'd come to us a couple of weeks ago we would probably have said yes but when that happens there are other PRs that we work with um, that we know well that will happily say have you tried this person they're probably a good fit for you we'd love to work with you but we we just can't this year Mm. Uh, because it will reach a point that if we take on too many it's going to dilute the the ability to do the job that we're already doing for the people we've taken on Um, so that can be frustrating kind of having to say no to people but it does mean that we can be quite selective in making sure we're spread across um the the different art styles that we work with we work with both comedy and theater for edinburgh um so we can make sure that we're not trying to send the same journalists three or four of the exact same shows because that's not going to really help our clients it's great if we can say here's a little group of um children's shows here's a little group of shows that have a um like a growing up story theme but if they're all going to be very similar they're kind of muddled together where it can be much better that if we're pitching one and a different pr company uh, pitching another they stand alone far better and then they're not really competing with themselves in the same way 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, I get that. Um, when I, I spoke to Neil McKinnon at the, the Fringe Central uh, in Edinburgh, yeah. and he said that uh, performers should be, uh, I'm trying to quote it completely, <laughs> uh, performers should be wary of any PRs who do theatre and comedy PR. Um, I know you guys do both. Mm-hmm. What, what, do you think that's a fair assessment, or do you think they're, like, they're split specialities? And um, I think... Yes, they are split in that they they require different um, different press contacts because it's not the same writers who will work across both, and in some ways a very different approach. So we won't be um, our method for gaining coverage won't be exactly the same for our comedy clients as it will be for our theatre clients. Um, but yeah, we do we do both and we do that quite well. But we're very clear about what the the outcome for each client will be, um, what a sensible thing to achieve will be, so that expectations are managed well, um, and get a good understanding for what they want out of it. There are, there are sometimes we get people who approach us that say our absolute goal for Edinburgh is to make sure that um, agents have come in to see me and producers for this theatre, that theatre, um, whichever venues they want. If it's comedians have have come in to see me which is great, but that's not something that's a PR job. Um, unless it involves a journalist or a newspaper, we can't really help. Obviously, there are, there are venues and producers that we work with that if we're working with a client and say, this person's great, we recommend that you see them, they're probably going to listen to say, great, well, we know that we like the style of comedy that you like, so I can check them out. But we can't then keep following up to say, have you been in yet? Have you been in yet? In the same way that with a reviewer, we can say, you really wanted to see this, so have you been in yet? How about you going on Tuesday? Will you go in on Wednesday? Can you book it in today? How about I book that in for you? We can't be pushy in the same way because they know that that's not our job and if we do push it too much, it's more likely to annoy them and then that'll do damage to that relationship that the client wants to build. So making sure we have a good understanding about what you want out of the campaign from the beginning is really important. Yeah, totally. I, I That's interesting to me because... Uh, so when I when I I did Justice Tonic this year and they had a press office and stuff and they would say that you know the the journal so that the um, reviewers and journalists and everyone would go to the press office and check in and say they were going to a show if they wanted a ticket that kind of stuff but you guys try to keep away from sort of other industry then as it were and only deal with journalists um, yeah very much dealing with the press um, if they're a venue PR they're often working hand in hand with the box office as well so people requesting tickets it's kind of going through lots of the same teams and the same people so it's easier for them to to process um but again if they're looking after a whole venue they can't look after individual needs so they can't be emailing out to all of those contacts to say can you come in and see this show um that's where, where we come in to make sure that we can can contact all of those journalists and say can you come and see this one particular show that makes sense i'm just trying, sorry i'm just trying to work out because uh a lot of comedians for example want industry to come in as much as they want a reviewer to come in yes. or they want press to come in and i think there might be i'm not sure because it might just be my feeling on this but i think there might be a, a misunderstanding in that you guys don't do that from i mean do you ever find performers sort of going well i'd love to get more i'd love to get loads of agents in as well and you have to sort of tell them yeah. that's nice <laughs> yeah so that, that's really good we'd recommend you do that but yeah. we can't help um yeah but we'd make sure that that's a conversation we've had from the very beginning of a product product project <laughs> and if if that is something that is the the be all and end all of a campaign that somebody wants we will then tell them that's not something that we can do so we probably wouldn't take them on as a client mm. um 
but then part of our job is to make sure you've got the ammunition so that when you do approach or you have a, a producer, a promoter who's taking you out to those contacts, you've got something that backs up your claim of saying, I'm great, that you've then got your reviews and you've got your write-ups and you're featured in this, that and the other top ten, top five. Um, so it's not just your voice saying, I'm really good, please come and see me. You can say, and all of these people that you also um, believe when they tell you something's good say that I'm good as well. Yeah. And the t- I mean, I've seen a lot of the, oh, well, everyone has, the top 10, top 5 uh, lists from different publications. I mean, how, influen- influ- how influential can you guys be on those? I mean, do you, because do you, obviously they're, they're not advertorial pieces, so you can't sort of buy them as it were. But unless you guys have them under their nose at the right time, they're not going to know the show exists in order to feature it. So... How do you guys work on those, as it were? And do you? I mean, do you, uh, you yeah, yeah. We, we we definitely make sure that firstly making sure that they know that you exist. So getting <laughs> getting the, getting your press release and the details about it under their nose, so that they've seen it, they've read it. We've had those conversations with them um, for Edinburgh specifically. Um, you don't want to contact them too early because obviously most of those journalists have a, a job outside of Fringe as well. So if you send stuff to them too soon, it'll then be put in the. I'll read that when I start working on Edinburgh. And then that gets stuff put on top and put on top and put on top. And then by the time it comes to them thinking about Edinburgh, it'll be on the bottom of their pile. But what, then, What's too sort of January time, you mean? Or like when yeah, that's probably too soon because they'll be working on all of the things that they're, they're writing for the, the, the rest of the year job that they have. Um, we go up to meet all of the journalists we can who are related to Edinburgh in Edinburgh and Glasgow in about... June, beginning of June time, so as things are starting to, to crawl crawl into action for Edinburgh. So we have those conversations face-to-face, so the, the press release that you've written, um, we then chat to them about the show, so all of the conversations that we've had with the performers, with the um, producers and promoters, so that it's not just what's written on the page that we're talking to them about, um, which means we can have those conversations if they're saying, oh, actually, I'm trying to put together a top ten list of people who are wearing yellow this year. That might not have been something that we've thought about putting in the press release because we didn't know that was going to be a theme for people to want to write about. But it does then mean that I can go through my releases and pick out the ones and say, actually, I know that every day this guy's going to be wearing yellow trousers, so he would be perfect for your top ten people wearing yellow list. Yeah. Um, so there are things that until you have those conversations face-to-face, you don't necessarily know what themes people will be writing about that you've targeted well in your release. Yeah, totally. And because the thing is, in uh, most performers when they register an Edinburgh show in particular, yeah. we don't have it finished. So as a result... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the nicest way of putting it. Um, uh, usually it's, you know, July. But we... So, so to write out a press release that early anyway, you're probably only going to have, like, a rough idea of what it is. So it sort of makes sense. I mean, uh, how early do you start preparing for Edinburgh then? I mean, obviously you're, you're signing people up probably now. Um, yeah, we, well, we start getting approaches kind of from the end of the previous Edinburgh. Um, it tends to be around March, April time that we start putting our Edinburgh hats on fully and start actually gearing up to, to get things ready for Edinburgh. Um, and by then, most people will know the themes that they're covering in their show um, what style they're working with so if they're um, departing from a style that they've had before and they're trying something new they'll know that Um, lots of the information that you need to to begin a campaign will already be in place especially once you're having to write your 40, 50, 100 words to go into the fringe brochure Um, if you don't know it by the time you have to write your brochure then we might be struggling a little more but but most of the, the, the general things that we can talk about will, will, will already be in place or well on their way to being in place. So we can, we can start working with those straight away. 
And how many people do you take to Edinburgh each year? Um, it varies depending on how many people we take on as our team. Because um, uh, all year round, there's Madeleine and myself running Prospero mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. And then we bring on other freelancers if we've got bigger projects that we need more people on hand for. Um, for the last couple of years for Edinburgh, we take on around 20 clients that split between um, comedy and theatre but we go up to having a team of seven people. Um, so there's Madeleine and myself from uh, February, March time in April, May. Uh, senior publicist comes on board. Then it'll be June, July. We'll go up to four. Then for August, all hands on deck. We'll have our whole team in place for the year. Um, yeah, so it tends to be maximum team of seven, but you get three or four people for most of the time that you're working with us. Mm. And in terms of, uh, like, amount of... So, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. <laughs> well, no, because cause a lot of performers sort of go to Edinburgh and the cost of Edinburgh keeps rising. And, yeah. and as a result, a lot of performers, even if they have a sellout run, don't make money or they, or they can't make money just because it's just not viable for that to work. I mean, do, do you think there are... Uh, do you, do, I mean, what do you think of the rising costs in Edinburgh? Do you think that it's sort of uh, getting out of hand or is it like just uh, well it, it can definitely be tough um and we recognize that and we do try and keep our prices reasonable so that we we feel that we offer value for money that we're not expecting you to pay f- through the nose for a service that you're not going to have appreciated by the time it comes to the end of edinburgh um and i can't speak for everybody else who goes to edinburgh but we run edinburgh on a, a break-even system um for us it's a a trade fair as much as it is for performers who are going up to try and secure the the gigs and the runs that they want in other theatres and tours throughout the rest of the year. That's the same for us. We're, we're going up to Edinburgh to work with people to promote them for Edinburgh so that we can then work with people who are touring in the autumn that when they do their runs at theatres in London we can, ha- we can work with them as well. Um, so although we wouldn't say that we're taking on the same financial risk that performers are because we're not having to pay to be in Edinburgh in advance um, we're definitely not getting to the end of August to ride home in a Ferrari to my castle with my pony. One day it would be nice but um, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're running Edinburgh on a, a system where we're, we're looking at yeah, it's tough for us all. I'm really disappointed you didn't say a tight ship because we are on a boat, <laughs> on a ship, yeah. on a boat right now and that would have been amazing yeah, our, our budgeting is definitely run on a tight ship um, with, our, <laughs> with our staff costs and accommodation costs for Edinburgh. Um, lots of the you're the, not staying in a penthouse at a. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that would be nice as well. Um, yeah. Maybe one day, but um, no, not not at all. That's interesting. So, so because a lot of uh, me and my well. I say me and my friends, me and a few of my friends kind of look at Edinburgh as a bit of a lost leader, as it were. So you sort of, like you said, use it as a trade fair and then after that put it in other festivals that maybe where it can make money or it can, it can actually break even or, like you said, tour. And I know you deal with touring as well, mm-hmm. extended London runs. Yeah. So do you view it the same way where you're sort of like, it, obviously you don't want to make a loss, but you, you aren't making as big of a profit there because you hopefully, if you do a good enough job... Yeah, we, 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 we budget Edinburgh to make sure that we're covering our costs so we can pay all the staff that we work with we pay for the accommodation that we're in um but pretty much everything that comes in in our edinburgh budget is already spent by the end of edinburgh on doing the job that we do um it's not it's not a massively profitable project for us but as i said it's 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 the things that we do for the rest of the year round that come from the relationships we build up in edinburgh that make it worthwhile okay 
makes sense same for everyone same for everyone yeah Yeah. i think i think there's a sort of illusionary thing where the middlemen in comedy are sort of making the money and the performers are the last to be paid and i think i think that can be the case but i don't necessarily think it is in all cases no definitely not in all cases um yeah it's it well i think start make a sentence that makes sense um (laughs) we we recognize that we're not taking on the same financial risk that somebody who's producing a show can because you put that money in and if tickets don't sell or you suddenly have a massive expense you weren't expecting that's money from your pocket that you're not getting back Mm. Um, whereas we have what can be seen as a luxury of working out a budget in advance this is the number of clients we're working with Mm. this is how much we know people are going to be paying us so these are the staff costs we will have that's how much we're going to have to pay out for that our accommodation is going to cost this we don't have there's not very much spending that could catch us by surprise in edinburgh Mm. um i guess if we suddenly decided we needed an extra member of staff that we hadn't budgeted for that could happen but it's unlikely because we know what everybody's job is going to be and what we need them to do um yeah it's not the same as suddenly deciding halfway through the run that we need to build a new set piece that didn't exist at the beginning of the run it's that's we don't have those 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 risks to, to go up against but um yeah it's certainly not something that we're, we're we're rolling in cash by the end of the month <laughs> um, i don't think anyone is i think yeah i think most people are in the same 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 position by the end of the month yeah and well, by that month but of course for for most people as with performers it's not just a month's project it starts way before then yeah yeah totally totally and into uh, what kind of performer do then to like catch your eye as it were to get you to come i mean like okay let's let's, let's start that question a different way from say I wanted to get you guys to represent me, mm-hmm. what is the pro- what is the process you would ideally want a performer to go through to get you to maybe come and see the show? Do you come and see the show? I mean, like uh, yeah, we we, right. we make sure we see the show um, as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Once it's in a shape that we'll get a good <laughs> feel for what the show is, um, even if it's you you know that this is going to be material you're trying to put in the show and you're doing a, a twenty minute set as part of a composite gig, mm-hmm. we'll happily come and watch you there because we'll we'll still get a feel for for who you are and what you're yep. doing, um, and then we'll have a conversation with you afterwards where you can tell us more about what you want the show to become and different directions you're moving in and how it will work and then we should have a pretty good feel for what the show is going to grow into um and it's one of those things where we have to be enthusiastic for the show as much as the performer is and you have to find a pr who shares your enthusiasm Uh, there's no point in us trying to sell in something that we don't believe in because our journalist contacts are going to know that that's not something that we we're 100 percent behind if they mm. look at it and go that's really different to everything you usually choose to work with mm. you, that either there's a really good reason for this being different to your normal taste or it's something that you don't actually like and we don't want to work with things that we don't really like because we want to be able to sell things to well not really sell but for want of a better word when we contact the journalists that we, we're contacting we want to believe in the product that we're giving to them so that even if they don't like it that's fine because everything comes down to personal taste so often Mm. but if i'm telling them this show is great it's because i believe that the show is great Mm. makes sense yeah and when it comes to edinburgh stunts which are kind of are getting bigger and bigger these like i just think everyone's trying to do something to kind of stand out and i think stunts are kind of getting pushed as the new thing to do do you get involved in those or is that not i mean i assume getting the press out to that like using the um clash diary or something like that would come in handy but 
are you do you just say, do you just have a meeting with the performer and go okay yeah you're going to do that we'll we'll try and get press um, or it really depends what it is. Um, most press stunts in Edinburgh, I'm not keen on. Trying to get journalists <laughs> down to something is really hard. If it's if it's part of your show, or it, like anything that's in your showtime, they can schedule in. They can know a couple of days in advance. This is my schedule for the day. I'm doing this show, that show, this show. Then I can give myself some time to do my write-ups. Then I can do this, that, and that. If we then say you need we'd really like you to come and see this stunt then they know it's a stunt and they'll either be interested or not um they can't just drop everything and run if we tell them it's really exciting you have to drop everything and run and go and see this now if they show up and then go i'm not impressed then you risk having something written up to say i dropped everything and ran to see this and it was why did i bother going which then is the opposite of what you wanted to get out of it and edinburgh is so full of strange sights that you see every day people out in unusual costumes flyering that trying to get something that is going to grab attention on a stunty level is is tough because there's there's so much to see and do all the time that trying to find something that's going to rise above and grab people's attention is is tough and if you're trying to plan that in advance it's even harder Mm. yeah i can see that so you're not of the opinion that any press is good press kind of thing um no, if something is, is if something's very negative, it can be hard to come back from that because obviously everybody else is going to read the papers as well as you and your audience, and it can then be tough to combat that if all the other journalists have read it and seen. Well, actually, I saw this about that show, and now I don't think I want to go because that's mm. that's not the kind of thing I want to go and see anymore. Um, yeah, there are definitely it's you know yeah I, I definitely don't believe that all publicity is good publicity. Um, if it gives you a chance to then comment, to have a, a to have the right to reply to say this is what I meant in that conversation that has been written about differently somewhere, then maybe good can come of it. But it's probably best to not have that negative there in the first place. Yeah, no. I, when I was I was chatting to Bruce Dessau a while ago, and he was saying that they used to do like a. a I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called like a, a wall of shame or something, or like a, like a page of one star reviews in a newspaper. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was like three weeks or something. And apparently that sold out more tickets than the five star shows because everyone wanted to go and see what was so awful. Yeah, well, it, I think since everything is so subjective, people will love something or hate something. And if you've managed to create a show that consistently gets fives and ones, that in itself is is kind of more fun than. Mm. Then, if you get a three, then somebody's yeah. gone. Yeah, it's all right. It doesn't mean it's bad, but they've gone. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, if they've said it's one, then they they actively disliked that show. And if you've got a mix of I really don't like this show and this show is the best thing I've ever <laughs> seen, then that's quite fun as an audience member to go and make your own mind up. Yeah. Um. So yeah, having a, a mixed fives and ones, I don't think does a show the same amount of harm as obviously if you just had consistently ones and twos then most people will read them and go i'll just pick something else that i can see instead um but if you can if you can balance them out then less so yeah totally i mean what do you what do you make of the star rating system um personally it can be really harsh if you don't don't agree then you have to recognise that everybody else has their right to an opinion as well and it can be upsetting for performers to have a review that they they don't agree with Um, but in terms of the marketing collateral that four and five stars can 
provide for the rest of somebody else's campaign, that's brilliant. That if at the end of the day I can hand, well, not at the end of the day, if as soon as they come out, I can mm. then hand the people working on the marketing four and five star reviews that they can glue to their posters and flyers, then that's great. And part of me would never want to lose that because in terms of getting things out there to help sell tickets, it works. A lot of performers, or I assume it's press as, so PRs as well, like put those four and five, you know, sort of um, cut out things on posters like throughout the month to sort of say, yeah. look, we've been reviewed and it's great. And blah, 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 blah. How much do you track how much people actually pay attention to those? Because I, 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 obviously there's going to be always be a percentage of people that use them as their shorthand and stuff. But you, but the problem is you don't know if they're the right people to come and see your show. Because if someone is just a general person who's looking to go and see all the five-star shows, for example, yeah. Th- obviously, so many different shows are going to get so many different, you know, sort of five stars because of different reasons. They're not all going to like every five-star show. So, how much of it is just trying to sell tickets, and how many? How much of it is trying to target the right audience for each show? If you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to. S- um, well, I guess that comes in in the the different publications that are out there. Um, for for every Edinburgh campaign, we for the first for the beginning of the festival, we would like every possible reviewer there is to be in the shows we're working with because having those fours and fives to stick on your flyers and posters can make a difference. Um, we don't really mind who it is as long as they're going to write it up that there will be that collateral to put on the the posters and flyers. Um, but for all of the projects, we want to make sure that we're also looking after the the longevity of that project. So, for the if it wants to tour or you're putting it in different venues around the country, um, any press that's very local to Edinburgh then people in the rest of the country aren't going to recognise what their name is and they're not going to know to to believe what they're saying about it any more than just reading the marketing copy about the show. Um, Whereas if they've got publications that they recognise in the rest of the country, so the the national papers that that exist everywhere, um, the the specific comedy publications that cover things everywhere, um, we want to target those as well. So obviously we try and get them in from the very beginning as well. But in the second half of the month, we want to make sure that we're definitely targeting those and getting the right people into the right shows so that the project after Edinburgh has collateral that it can use in the same way. Okay, so I've got like four questions from that. Because, okay, so I remember when we were doing the live pod, you were commenting on, or you were asked a question about regional um, coverage and how that has a bigger impact sometimes in like smaller areas than, say, for example, a national in a big city. And, I mean, does that mean that trying to think of how to phrase it but if you so if you've got four or five stars in Edinburgh they don't necessarily mean as much outside the bubble of Edinburgh then um yes depending on who the publication is if it's um if you're taking your show on tour and it's visiting um Southampton then in the couple of weeks before your show there having coverage in the local press will probably help sales more so than a review that happened in Edinburgh. Having that on your posters and flyers is is great because then when people are walking past the venue in wherever it is that you've gone to, they will see that. Um, but it happened in August and if your show is not happening until October, November, it's not available in the same way for people to read whereas their local paper that arrives every Wednesday is in their hand on that Wednesday so having a preview in that paper is better than the review in Edinburgh for that immediate sale 
for your flyers and posters, having that review in Edinburgh is still of benefit because you, you've got the stars to put on the posters and to put in any advertising that you're taking out in local papers. But on a local level, um, it's a preview that helps sell tickets rather than review, unless you're doing a longer run. Because by the time a review is published in a regional town, your show is probably somewhere else. And that could be on the other side of the country. So people buying tickets once that review is published aren't anywhere nearby to actually buy a ticket. Right. Okay. And in terms of just Edinburgh, yeah. do you think word of mouth is started by reviews or do you think it's helped by reviews? Um, I think both. Okay. Um, because every review is still written by a journalist who's a person. They're a human being and works in the same way as every other human being. So if you are having a chat in the pub and someone that you know has seen a show and they say it's great and you want to go and see it the journalists will kind of be doing the same thing they've got their friends they will be socializing in the same way um and vice versa we are constant i don't understand how it takes so much of our day in edinburgh but it really does that um we will gather the reviews that your show already has and be passing those on to the journalists that haven't been in yet to say look at the other amazing reviews this show's had you should be in to see it as well. Don't miss it, because it's this good. When I spoke to Copstick uh, about Edinburgh, yeah. she said that if a performer has a good show, word of mouth will sell it out, and uh, that it's gone, it's gone from a stage of, uh, you, you know, sort of money talks to money shouts to if you don't have money, in the big four sometimes, you know, you, you, you just don't sell anything. because. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. 
no one's taking a punt on the thing. I mean, what what are your thoughts on word of mouth being more powerful than, say, for example, reviews uh, in Edinburgh in particular, and in terms of uh, free versus paid model-wise in getting people in? Um, I think both have a definite value and a benefit that can differ depending on where your show is and how much it costs that if somebody is taking a punt on absolutely anything and they're not really reading reviews or word of mouth, they're literally looking at something, thinking, do I like the sound of this, based on the marketing copy, looking up in on Edfringe and going, then it kind of doesn't matter what you do. They're going to go to the shows that they like the sound of. Um, once you've got somebody rocking up to a paid venue and then they're trying to decide, what shall I see while I'm here, having those flashes on your posters and flyers make them stand out from everything else so if you've got someone physically standing at the box office looking at the posters around them trying to decide what to see they've only got the look of the poster and whether other people have said this show's brilliant to base that choice on if they're only going on word of mouth then it it doesn't matter what reviews you've got in if they're going to a show because their friend has said it's great they're going to go to the show that their friend has said is Mm. great um but nobody operates in just one of those dynamics they're they're going to mix and match both if three of their friends have recommended three different shows and they've gone to the box office and then they're trying to decide which one to go with and then they might go with the one that had the more reviews so everything balances out um for free shows again i think both have a definite value because it's usually yourself out there selling the show so again being able to put a flyer in somebody's hand and say here are the things i've stapled on because other people have said that it's brilliant not just me then you're selling something that's not just you saying please come to my show Mm. you've you've given them something that's that's more than that But then again, word of mouth is is powerful as well. I think everything comes as a balance. And if you're trying to decide, do I go for PR or not? It's a case of working out everything that could possibly be in your budget and which things are going to be of value to you. Um, Because it's not just, do I have PR or not? But do you have PR and marketing? Do I have marketing on its own? Do I have to buy a set at the same time? What are, what are the other expenses that you've got to put into your Edinburgh show? Um, there's, there's so much that you need to work out beforehand that, that all has to be juggled and all has to be balanced in a way that, that makes sense to, to run your show. Okay, and, in, and on touring, um, sort of a similar question then. Do you think, because of, of, the, of the nature of Edinburgh, a lot, there's a lot of people there just looking for shows, whereas if it's say for example a tour it might be their one night out they have to get a babysitter they have to organize you know like a group of friends to like you know all take time off and stuff do you think it's the same thing then do you think uh, like it's more review led then rather than word of mouth or um for uh, for for a regional for for touring to a regional venue um having the reviews on your posters and flyers i think helps because then it's it's something that they're going to recognize from outside of the local community has said that it's great it's not it's 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 bigger than just this town it's going it's kind of one of those things that helps to add to that get it while it's here Mm. um but those reviews you will have had to put in place while you're in edinburgh um 
because once it's in that that local place it's it's the preview press that you can get for that that will help sell tickets now whether that's um interviews or or previews in the local press or whether you put the money into marketing so adverts and um flyer drops that kind of thing within the local area um again those are things that having the reviews already from edinburgh to put on that marketing copy will help right and when you so in my head and this might be wrong so in my head there are venues that are owned by so like seven or eight venues around the country owned by Live Nation or something like that um, or or work with Live Nation and they're you know the ones that they book the tour in every time for those sort of performers which means that is that that fair to Uh, yeah yeah there are definitely some venues that work across the country they're they're, they're, they're linked but others that aren't but yeah. Well, f- finish the question and then oh, no, I can answer well, otherwise I don't I've, I've realised yeah. I've just jumped in to say yes I don't know what the question was the answer could be no <laughs> well no if that's completely wrong the question's going to be wrong so it's great that that is definitely something that happens <laughs> well no because my, my question was going to be I imagine so if for example say I was going to go on tour and I booked 10 venues up and down the country that were all owned by or, or owned by or operated by the same chain of people and I came to you guys and you guys are used to working with that specific chain of venues you're more likely to have quite close connections with the local press there because you'll know that Southampton and rugby and whatever you know like places around the country have those venues and you obviously have built up the relationship with those how as a performer do I know who you guys have a relationship with do, do we just email you and say hey I'm going on a tour in these places do you have connections or um, yeah um, well I, I think um, let's take it back to the original that you, if you're touring somewhere that's um, run by the same people mm. it shouldn't matter PR wise whether all of your venues are run by the same people or are all completely separate um, my relationships are built with the press in those regional areas so it wouldn't if there are lots of towns that have two three different performance spaces but it's the same press that cover them all. So my relationship needs to be with the journalists. Um, obviously, we liaise with the press representatives of the venue you're going to as well um, because we don't want to step on people's toes. If they've got a really good relationship with the local journalist and it's much better for something to come from them, we're not going to say, no, it must come from me. We will happily let them have that conversation mm. and make sure that they're fed all the information that they need to be able to have that. And if the journalist then says, can we have an interview? We won't say, no, because we didn't set it up, we'll then keep that chain of conversation going so that the performer can speak to the journalist and then the coverage happens and more tickets are sold. Um, But we have press lists for pretty much everywhere in the country and they might not get spoken to as regularly as people in, in London where we have events all of the time, but they're people that we speak to regularly um so they they know who we are we we've spoken to them the last time we had a performer in in their town um those relationships are still there makes sense yeah okay and when we talked in the live pod again you talked about how interviews are based or it was actually you and mick talked about how interviews are a good way of getting basically free exposure because yeah they're they're not a paid advert essentially but they're also not you trying to get them to review or you know it's much easier for them it, uh, how do you go about getting those? Because obviously, you know, so for example, in the Metro every day, they've got sort of like 90 second with whoever, and that's kind of just an interview thing, and obviously they'll have like their calendar for that months mm-hmm. in advance. If you're a performer going to Edinburgh, 
should you be planning a tour directly afterwards? Because most people I know wait until after Edinburgh to work out whether they want to do another run or another festival or whatever. So as a result, I'm, you know, I'm trying to work out how far ahead you schedule for something like that or for an interview, especially for something regionally where they maybe need to keep a few months ahead of time. Um, for for P- PR-wise, mm. um, I will send the, the release and start having the conversations with the, the local press Um about six weeks before the date of the show um four is is workable as well and then it's not usually until two weeks before the show that we'll know what coverage is happening interviews are going to be set up because that that, that's just the time frame things work on um london is a lot more competitive there's so much happening um that things often get planned further in advance or incredibly last minute because there's so much to choose from that it's not until the day before sometimes for for web press they'll say right it's this 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 and this that we're going with um but it still helps to have the information with them well in advance um london is covered a lot by the 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 national papers as well and um for want of a better word, kind of bigger publications, meaning the the, the readership for that paper being yeah. a larger group of people. Um, so they tend to plan more in advance as well. Um, for for those papers, for the nationals and the, the, the more widely read London papers, they tend not to review unless it's got a longer run. Um, so for some papers, they won't review unless it's got three weeks run after press night because the turnaround it takes to see the show write it up publish it they want to make sure that their audience are going to have enough time to decide book tickets and go and see the show before the show's gone if it's only running for three or four days their readership don't have time to go and see the show after they've written Mm. about it so they won't write about it they'll write about something else that their their readers can go and see Mm. Um, but with regional press you tend to only be there for a day you do that one night show and then you're on to the next town so a review although it can be lovely to have people tell you that you're great isn't going to help sell tickets in that town Mm. you need people to have written about it before you're there so in terms of those timelines do you just contact the publication and say how far in advance do you book these how far in advance are you booking uh, like interviews with performance how how far before a tour do you want to get that signed off so that it's ready to go out when um well we'll, yeah we'll make sure that our releases are signed off from the the beginning of of the tour because it Mm. tends to be the exactly the same information that's going to every place along that tour it's Mm. just the listings details that need to change to make sure that you've got the right venue and the right booking information to go out with the release but again at that four to six weeks out um too far away yeah you're not in you're not anywhere near that town yet so people tend to book closer to the time mm. um, I forgot what the initial question was I got halfway through a sentence went ah I forgot what I'm saying it's okay <laughs> I think I think you you answered like three questions there so you're absolutely fine Yay. I'm just crossing them off um, I mean what what other because uh, newspapers uh, okay this is going to sound quite bad but newspapers <laughs> uh, newspapers in my opinion well maybe not in my opinion I think in most people's opinion are pretty much a dying format at the moment I mean they're, they're sort of circ- especially the printed one the circulation yeah there dropping. are lots of um, lots of local papers that used to be daily that have become weekly mm. um, yeah there, there is less printed press out there that's just a general fact how is that and the internet affecting your job in trying to get more coverage because obviously there's more opportunities but it means that there's obviously 
more people trying to get that coverage. So is that causing you a headache, is it? Um, well, in terms of the, the local papers tend to still exist, even if they're there um, with a, a daily update online rather than the, the daily physical paper. Um, so that's still great for having previews running, for interviews that the audience in that area can still access. And it's there at their fingertips they just have to look up oh what's on at this venue and you will pop up and if you pop up with an interview rather than just a listing it's given them more information about who you are what you're doing and mm. helping sell that show more um it does mean that the the space in the physical papers is more competitive because rather than having um every day the same space it's that space for everything that's happening that week or that month um so there's there's less space to write about you but that doesn't mean that we can't push to have your picture and a small write-up in the printed paper and then a larger interview running online um so we we keep pushing to try and find the ways to get that coverage to exist and be in front of the right people who are then going to be buying the tickets to the show Mm. and uh what other free methods are there then of getting coverage other than interviews um uh, there's there's previews so just it being um, written about in the paper before you're there. Um, Highlights, like these are the top 10 things that are coming to this venue this month. Um, Anything that happens, well, regardless of whether it's in print or online, it gives you more ammunition to be sharing it. So having online coverage, although you can't physically put it in your hand, which not so much now but that used to be the absolute goal that people wanted to be able to hold their coverage and hold that clipping to actually walk away with it physically um but if it if it exists online you can then share it you can put it on facebook on twitter and if you had fans in that area who might not have looked at the website in the last couple of days they see it on your feed and then they go and read it and they share it and then their friend group who perhaps didn't know who the performer was have seen it they're interested they buy tickets it it helps increase the reach that you're going to so online used to be seen as being like "Mm, yeah but it was only online rather than in print but it's got just as much benefit now and uh, so you mentioned social media there how much involvement do you get in a social media uh how much how much involvement are you going to get involved (laughs) <laughs> I will get a sentence out in a minute. It will work. It will be great. How much involvement have you got, or how much involvement do you? I will get this. This is going to happen. How much? I'm going to edit this. It's going to be so good. People are going to think he's not even. Oh no! Just leave, it, leave the whole thing in. Oh no! Oh, that's, no. Um, I've got to seem cool in this, otherwise people will think oh, I'm going to have to stop listening to this stuttering fool. Um, how much? Do you factor in social media to a PR campaign then? Because I work in social media for a day job. Like, I write jokes for Twitter, basically, and uh, like to try and build communities around different things. And community versus PR tends to be... They're not, they're not kind of overlapping that much. Whereas, like you said there, there is content to be shared back and forth. So I'm wondering, do you just say to the performer you deal with your one-to-one relationships with your fans, we'll go out and do this, and if you want to share it, you can? Or do you actually try and factor that in? Um, no, to me, they're two very separate things. Um, most of the performers we work with either run their own social media or they have someone in place who's an expert in the field of the social media that they're working with, such as yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, Nailed it. <laughs> 
But in the same way that for an Edinburgh campaign, the press is giving extra ammunition for the marketing team to use, um, every bit of coverage that we can get for those venues is extra ammunition that they can use in their uh, social media campaigns. Um, whether that's a planned campaign that they, they're running or it just happens to be that on Tuesday they share this article that came out in this town. Um, yeah, it's, it's giving that, that extra benefit to a service that we're not running. Okay, makes sense. Okay, and if you had to pick, what would you say are the biggest mistakes? In say, Because there's a lot of com- comedians who do their own, try and do their own thing at the moment, and obviously we're not PR experts in the slightest. In fact, I go as far as to say that most com- comedians don't, you know, they deal with the show part rather than the business side of everything. And as a result, when we try it, we will make mistakes naturally because we're not learning it at the rate you're learning it. What would you say are the biggest mistakes comedians make when they try and promote their own tour on their own? Um, I think the the biggest, not necessarily, well, yes, mistake, but the biggest confusion that can cause problems is the difference between PR and marketing. Um, anything that's PR is contact with with journalists if the journalist is a middleman to making something happen then it's pr if you're having to 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 buy the content or it's being placed as direct communication with the audience then it's marketing and understanding what it is that you're trying to get makes a difference because if you're trying to place an advert or you want to pay to have very specific wording in a very specific place speaking to the journalist at the news desk is probably not going to help because they're just going to say you need to speak to our advertising department um yeah so knowing what it is that you're going in and hoping to achieve is is important okay yeah target setting yeah and expectation management yeah yeah okay and so you so your job is basically the the in-between a performer and a, and the journalist. So you are measured on how many journalists know about the show or come to see the show. Like, I mean, obviously it will vary from client to client. But how would you personally measure a successful relationship between a, a performer and a set of journalists? Um, I think it. Well, our relationship with the journalist is is ongoing all the time. So that relationship existed before that client was one of our clients and that relationship will exist after that client isn't one of our clients um so measuring our success with journalist conversations can't really be managed uh, can't really be measured in in that way um but we can obviously look at what the client is achieving and if they are getting the coverage that they wanted then we're achieving well if they're not getting the coverage that we wanted then we need to try harder but that's why having that conversation at the beginning of a project to know exactly what the client wants is so important because we could be looking at all the coverage and saying, great, this campaign is is perfect. I couldn't fault it. If it's not what the performer wanted, they will view it as not being a success. So knowing exactly what it is that we're aiming for is is vital. So would it be a case of you sitting down and saying to the performer, okay, so you want to be reviewed or covered by The Telegraph, The Guardian, Time Out, Blah, 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 and then you would go away and talk to someone from Telegraph, The Guardian, Time Out, blah, 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 and get them in? Or is it a case of you would say, 
I want to be covered by all the broadsheets, not the, uh, you know, sort of, how, how does target setting work? Uh, yes, setting targets that we, we aim for is exactly that conversation that we will have. What do you want? And then we then target it to try and make that happen. But there's also a step of making sure that those are sensible targets. If it's um, a show that is happening for two nights in a theatre tucked away down a dark alley somewhere in the middle of Soho that you're only going to get audience that you're flyering on the way past and hoping to, to bring them in saying I would like the Guardian, the Telegraph the Evening Standard, Metro to come in and review it, it's unlikely that that will happen, the run is too short it's not in a venue that their audience is already going to know exists um, it's, realistically that's not going to happen, mm. it doesn't mean that we won't aim, we won't tell yeah. those press that it, it's there and invite them to come along, but to then be measuring the success of a campaign against something that we already know is unlikely to happen. That's why that conversation needs to happen first, so that we know exactly what somebody wants, we explain what we believe is actually achievable, and then finding the middle ground between those two. The middle way? Yeah. In Okay, this is, I might edit this out, but in Buddhism there's a really cool idea where you... Um, so uh, you find the two extremes of any situation you have, and then you find the middle ground, and that's usually the best path to take. Yeah, but then we'll, we'll, we'll try to make that our aim. It yeah. does then mean that if we say, as we said, the, these are the things that will actually get achieved, mm. we won't then view that as a failure if that's <laughs> all we have because it's just as much work to get the 10 smaller pieces as it can be to get the one big piece. Mm. But as long as we've said from the beginning, this one big piece is unlikely to happen. It doesn't mean that we won't push for it. We spend, uh, specifically on an Edinburgh campaign, we, we, we make sure all of the journalists know about the show. We have those conversations with them from the get-go. Mm. We don't skip over anybody in our press pack when we're meeting the guardian but mm. do talk about them when we meet with a blog that's just been set up and will run for edinburgh and then disappear mm. all of our clients get represented the same in all of those meetings yeah totally and what are you looking for then with a show to represent um we're looking for something that we are behind something that we're genuinely enthusiastic about that we enjoy um and that we believe wholeheartedly anyone we recommend to say come and see this show will also enjoy um so are you looking for you or for the people that you have relationships with because obviously it'd be easier to sell a show in that way to a group of journalists if you know a group of journalists like say dark comedy so yeah so what i'm asking is are you uh, when you're scouting are you looking for you or are you looking for the people that you would be selling it to um, i guess a little bit of both um uh having the the benefit of working in, in tandem with, with Madeleine means that there are times that we've got different taste and that if one of us loves something and the other one thinks, that's mm, all right, then we'll have mm. a conversation and say, right, is this, is it just me? Am I going to be the only person in the world who thinks the show is amazing? Yeah. If I am, then it's going to be hard to sell it to everybody else. Yeah. If it's going to split everybody 50-50, then that's great. We can mm. sell it to the people who have my taste rather than Madeleine's taste. Mm. But again, that'll be a conversation that we need to have with the client to say, not everyone is going to love your show there are times that we can target specific journalists and get the ones in that we believe will really love you but then there are other publications that we don't get a say in who comes in um we can get the publication the the editors to agree to send in a reviewer but we don't know who the reviewer will be so there's a chance that it will be either they'll agree with my taste five stars all the way or it'll be madeleine's taste and they'll give you one um so that's managing those expectations that if 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 it can really split a room like that mm. knowing about it in advance yeah makes sense and in terms of other than obviously not a show you can't get behind 
Are there any pet peeves or personality traits or things that performers do that you might love their show but you just think I can't work with them? Are there any like deal breaker points that you think, you know, d- you know, if if there's a performer out there that you know has a great show but they they do this or they're unresponsive to emails or they're you know just any of this kind of stuff? Um, yeah, well, um, being responsive is obviously important, especially if it's. Um, around an Edinburgh campaign where journalists sometimes say right I've got two hours I can do the interview now are they available that if we can't get hold of you in those two hours that's an opportunity missed that we're Mm. not necessarily going to be able to get back Um, hitting deadlines is important especially if it's something that's self-penned if you don't have time to write something tell us that you don't have time to write it and then we can go straight back to the journalist saying really sorry but that's we just can't make that happen Mm. um if you tell us yes that's fine and then it's only a day before the deadline you tell us it's not going to come we've then got to go back to the journalist and say we're really sorry that's not going to come but they've been expecting it they planned in the space they they didn't know that it wasn't going to come and that then reflects badly on you that they might then next time they've got that space be like well i won't ask them to write anything because they didn't supply it last Mm. time um but i think the biggest pet peeve would be talking to journalists (laughs) Um, obviously lots of performers and journalists have relationships that exist but it's important during a PR campaign that there is one point of contact about you and about the show and that that's your PR Um, there have been several times um, mostly in Edinburgh where we've been talking to one journalist at a publication and we've been arranging for either an interview or a feature something that that was going to be a good piece of coverage a client has then had a conversation or somebody on the client's behalf like their their girlfriend or their mum has had a conversation with another journalist that they happen to know at the same publication who's then immediately gone away and written up a, a little column about about that performer and it's been published before the piece that we've been planning with a different journalist the editors then look at the papers and say well we can't write about that performer again we printed something about them yesterday Mm. so even though the other thing was small maybe a few lines that then means that the the full page that we were gonna have running about you can't run so you've lost a bigger piece of coverage because you secured your own small piece yeah. So making sure that we can manage those relationships is vital. We don't want to take them away. We're not going to say no press and clients can be friends ever again. Mm. But making sure that we know who's talking to who. Yeah. Is is yeah. That's a deal breaker. Yeah. No, I totally get. It. When I talked to Ben Williams at Time Out, um, he was saying that like they'll only write about you like once every eight to ten months or something depending on like unless you've got something amazingly new that they have to write about so like he was like just pick your time when you're going to come and talk to us because otherwise you're just going to blow your chance and and we we don't mind because you know like depending on the time of the year we might need something to write about and so it's not our fault um okay and sort of end on well let's ask you quick fire questions who are your favorite comedians oh that's a tough one i've got so many um, I really like Hal Cruttenden and I have for a very long time um, yeah I think I would have to name him as my absolute favourite okay best show you've seen in Edinburgh um, best shows I've seen in Edinburgh oh that's so many Edinburgh's there's so many shows um, there was a company it was a theatre company um they had a show called um, Darkness Rising or The Darkness Rises it was very funny very silly and I absolutely loved it Um, I wish they would come back 
Okay. I'll send them a link to this when, <laughs> it, when it goes up. Um, if you had one bit of advice for a performer, maybe take... So, actually, let's split the question because it would make more sense for you to split the question. Okay. So, maybe if you had one bit of advice for a performer taking their first show to Edinburgh, like our show, in terms of trying to get press coverage, and if you had one bit of advice for someone who was looking at getting press coverage for a tour, what would that be? You can answer it either way around you want. Um, press coverage for a tour, um, making sure that it's somebody that you want to work with. Um, if you're assuming that, that any PR company is going to have the contacts in place already, because they all should, um, that, that you're on a level ground on, on that basis, it has to be somebody that you are happy to pick up the phone to and that you are happy to answer the phone when they call you, that you know that those conversations are going to be um, easy and productive. Um, so in the same way as choosing somebody that you want to live with, it's got to be somebody that yeah. you get on with, that, that, that you, you trust. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I think, the biggest thing. And same for Edinburgh? Um, yeah, the same for Edinburgh, especially in Edinburgh. It can be... Um, uh, a, a bit of a, a pressure cooker situation so you need to know that that they're going to be there if something's wrong um but also that if they tell you this is not important right now it's not because they're not caring and they're not going to worry about it it's because it that's something that you can worry about in a couple of days that they're not going to forget that you that, that to you it's important but they know that it's not the right time for that conversation and if i asked the same question but i said for someone who's not looking for a pr but they want to do it on their own what would you say are maybe a pitfall that someone should look out for both in Edinburgh and in um, a London run? Maybe not a London run, like a touring run. Uh, to do it on your own, um, do your research first so that you know who you want to contact at um, at the papers, um, whether that's in Edinburgh or in uh, for, for a regional tour. Um, sometimes that is going to have to be a case of working out what the local paper is, finding the phone number for it calling to ask who the entertainment's writer is if you can't find it but most of that information should be available online that you'll be able to see who wrote the the previous entertainment pieces and calling and speaking to them um but being mindful that they're going to be juggling several other shows especially if it's in a town that has more than one performance venue again it's going to be a competition for space so you're picking up the phone and you are you are selling yourself to them on behalf of their readers why 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 are you interesting for their readers mm. okay well thank you very much for coming on you're welcome cheers that was amy smith i really enjoyed talking to her i felt like we got some really cool ideas for how to promote a show how to get free promotion for a show how to get cost effective advertising for a tour and just what goes into how PR has how organized you have to be to be a PR it's just fascinating to me and and I'm not particularly good at promoting my own stuff I'm not particularly good at uh, doing anything beyond social media that is promotion wise Um, above the line advertising is still very above the lines like uh, yeah sorry I'm getting my marketing hound above the line is like print media and TV and billboards and stuff like that I'm not particularly good at that Um, and I don't imagine many comedians I know are so yeah, it's just really good to talk to someone who does that professionally and find out what they do. If you have enjoyed this, there are two other episodes with different PRs that I've already had on. Uh, one with Mel Brown and one with Julian Hall. 
and you can find them on the website which is Simon Kane, that's S-I-M-O-N-C-A-I-N-E.co.uk forward slash RC Industry Podcast. You can also uh, subscribe and just download them direct from your podcast player of choice. Uh, also, you can find the live podcast where Amy was chatting with me and three other experts in touring to um, talk about yeah, just what it takes to tour a show, what it takes to get the correct promotion for a show. These live podcasts are a lot of fun to do. Um, there's limited space in each one of the ones we do, and as a result, uh, we have to ticket them. Uh, the they're usually free but ticketed. Um, the next one's going to be at the Leicester Comedy Festival. It's going to be with a group of founders for different comedy festivals. I would keep an eye out for that one. Uh, it's going to be really interesting and really cool. Uh, if you have enjoyed the show and you would like to donate, please do. There is a PayPal button on the website, uh, which again is simonkane.co.uk. And uh, if you would like to become a regular donator, please do think about joining the patrons of the podcast you can join up to that for as little as one dollar an episode which is about 80p cheap as hell isn't it really for like what you've just had content wise um if you are enjoying the show and you would like to give me a budget for the future of it that would be amazing i i can't thank the patrons enough for doing it also by signing up as a patron you get a guaranteed seat at all the live future podcasts so yeah that is definitely worth doing really um and if you can't make it i prioritize your questions over the people uh that aren't patrons uh so you pretty much definitely get your thing asked i mean i can't guarantee they'll answer but you definitely get your thing asked so uh it's definitely worth looking into becoming a patron i really want this podcast to become as self-supporting as possible um i've been offered some advertising and some sponsorships recently i don't really want to do them if i'm honest um not not in the whole Bill Hicks, I'm better than advertising, sell out kind of way. I just think it's better if we worked as a... I just think it's better if we work as a unit and self-support projects that we think are worth doing rather than trying to depend on outsider people who are trying to... I wouldn't say muscle in, but they're trying to gain leverage over the audience that I'm building for this. Because if I do it based around the size of the audience... I'm constantly chasing more and more people to join up and to listen to this. Whereas if a hundred of you were over the moon and loved the content and each gave me a dollar every time a podcast came out, I would get more out of it. I would feel more community around the project than if we just said, okay, well, go get yourself some advertisers. Plus, it decentralizes the money. It means that there's sort of more opportunity for if one patron can't make it for six months because they lost their job or whatever i don't immediately lose all my sort of backing for it because if the sponsor drops out i lose everything and it it's just it i think it's nicer i mean so i'm rambling a little bit now but if you can join the patronage it would be great we're coming up to a year and it would be amazing if i could get it over our next target which is a hundred dollars a pod uh i think we're at 53 at the moment um so it would only take 47 of you to get it over that um, future guests um, are just signing up uh, if you would like to know as and when you can ask questions to the future guests please do sign up to the Facebook group which is uh, RC Industry Podcast and it's on Facebook obviously so yeah thank you very much for listening thank you very much for donating thank you very much for subscribing and I'll see you in about a week bye 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.